Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Thanksgiving! All right, I hope that you have opportunity to gather around a table today and make Jesus known in the breaking of the bread. Let's pause for a moment and just talk about what it means to give thanks and the one to whom we give thanks and just how good God is. So you may be thinking, I don't have a lot to be thankful for today as I survey the challenges in my life or the physical Um, pains of my body. Maybe I don't have a table of bounty. Maybe I don't even have a table of fellowship today. Maybe there's a new empty chair at my table and I'm having a hard time finding reason to give thanks. Well, let's give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. I would encourage you to turn to the Psalms of Thanksgiving Turn turn to the hymns of thanksgiving. Recognize um, the goodness and the grace and the beauty of God, regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. There is cause to give God thanks, even when our circumstances are difficult. That is what Paul is talking about when he talks about giving thanks in all circumstances. He is testifying to that from the context of prison. He's testifying to that from the context of being cold and hungry, Uh, a person who endured horrible things on behalf of Christ. And yet Paul found cause to give thanks, to give God his due in the midst of all of the circumstances of Paul's life. So when we think about life and we think about the life that Jesus came to give us, the abundant life described in John 10.10, that Zoe life. Maybe think today about thanks living. What would it look like to live today on this Thanksgiving day in thanks living to God? How could my life be an expression of gratitude to the Lord our God. We give thanks to God for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let's find today reasons to give thanks to God, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. All right, we are going to listen to a conversation that I had with Jonathan Den Hartog about the pilgrims and the first Thanksgiving. Welcome to Mornings with Cardinal. A song of thanksgiving to God the Creator, triumphant. I can only imagine when that day comes. 
All right, Jonathan Den Hartug is a back. Uh, he is a professor at Samford University. He teaches history. He's also an Iowan. I didn't know that until uh, until this conversation. So we might have to talk about that. He's a historian of early America, especially in relationship to religion and politics. And I am going to ask him today about all things Thanksgiving. Jonathan, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Well, well, thank you. So, so good to be here again. And yes, prou- proud to be an Iowan as well as a historian. Okay, so um, as an Iowan, take us back to the Thanksgiving table. Um, you know, one when you were a kid, maybe. What was on it? Who was there? And then we're going to talk about how that compares to uh, the first Thanksgiving. Yeah, that, that's a great, great place to start because we have both our experiences, um, and I'll just think of of mine. Like we really did look forward to it, and my my parents would both get up early to uh, prepare and to you know take care of that turkey so it was just right. Um, and then we would have uh, lots of fixings and, you know, look forward to things like uh, green bean casserole. That's a very Iowan thing and good stuffing and you know, done in several different ways. But uh, so we have these images in our mind and then we have pictures that maybe we've seen in books. But then when we think of the first Thanksgiving, it was probably much different than we imagine and probably wilder and more unexpected, which I think makes it fascinating <laughs> to think how that experience uh, in probably 1621 uh, differs from what, what we celebrate today. Okay, so here's, um, here's how I would like to approach this. I would like to go down my, my grocery list. So um, turkey, do you think they ate turkey? Possible, but probably not. There were wild turkeys uh, in the forest, but turkey are pretty wily uh, birds and the guns that they had uh, not uh, were not super accurate, so it's possible. Uh, the pilgrims talked about fowl, F-O-W-L, which probably meant more ducks and geese. Yeah. All right. So probably ducks and geese. There you go. Um, and I am going to be setting my table. People are going to have a salad fork. They're going to have a dinner fork. They're going to have a dessert fork. They're going to have a knife. Uh, they're going to have a spoon because our cranberry sauce is kind of the liquidy. I mean, it's a little more liquidy. Um, and so let's talk about utensils. What uh, in 1621, what would Milady have been using to set her table? They, w- they would be lucky to have fork and knife. Uh, spoon- spoons were much uh, were much less common, even at that point. All right. So. Um, just and, one is very easy. Put 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 the put your one fork on the left, your knife on the right, and you're good to go. <laughs> okay, now let's talk about the fixins. Um, I I, th- I feel like there was not green bean casserole because I feel like there was not Campbell's soup. And and the the French fried onions was was kind of hard <laughs> as well. <laughs> okay, so what were the fixins? What did they have as side items? Do you think? Well, again, the instead of you know a nice salad, they they probably did have some garden greens. So whether that was like a cabbage, um, turnip greens, collard greens, but you think of those, they're a lot more bitter than the the leafy things that we would normally uh, have. Um, but they if have they have turnip greens, then I'm hopeful that they also have turnips, which is kind of like having potatoes. They they could have turnips, so that, so mm-hmm. they would have some some uh, rooty uh, veg root kind of root roots rather than so 
um, not not potatoes. So no no mashed potatoes, unfortunately. What? Um, the uh, the other thing would would be uh, corn. They would have corn. Uh, this would have been Indian corn. So maybe not fixed the way we would, but they would have had corn as well. All right. Um, so probably no sweet potatoes with pecans and marshmallows. Yeah. No. No. Not 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 a lot <laughs> melted over them, unfortunately. <laughs> How about cranberry sauce? Although we think of cranberries as as a New England dish, uh, they probably weren't harvesting cranberries those first couple of years either. Okay, so, so you see, you see now that people are listening and they're thinking, hmm, I can have a green salad and I can have some roasted root vegetables and I can have some waterfowl or maybe a chicken. I don't know. Can I have a chicken? No, duck and what'd you say? Duck and goose? D- duck and goose would it would yeah, have no been chicken. easy easy to mm. get. No, no chicken. Mm. So two other proteins you might have. Uh venison. Yeah. We we know that they went out and they did mm. they did hunt deer, so you could have some venison. So our, our, nice. our deer hunting friends would, would be happy there. And there were some uh foods from the sea, and this is this is the some of the delicacies that I always like to point out. They were able to uh, catch fish. So you'd have have some fish involved, but also in the fall in New England, uh, eel was very accessible. So if you if you're looking forward to some eel on your Thanksgiving day, that would also be on the table. <laughs> oh, okay. So um, now let's move to the dessert course. Um, was there pie of any kind? Was there pie in 1621? The English would probably have thought of pie as as a cross that you'd probably more savory pie, right? You could mm-hmm. you could again bake your bake your venison in there, bake your vegetables in there. Uh, our our sense of a pumpkin pie or an apple pie, and frankly, I like both. Why choose between them when you can have both? But Absolutely. they probably were not uh, taking advantage of either. Mm. We at our house, um, like. Uh, the meal matters. Like people love the Thanksgiving meal, but the pies matter more. We have a whole pie buffet. My husband is the pie maker in our family. And it, it's, you know, if there's not five or six different varieties of pie, he's not a happy man. So, uh, yeah, the pie baking at our house is a big, big, big deal. Okay. So my last question about um, Thanksgiving Day in 1621, and then we'll take a brief break and come back and talk about these people. Um, but my question is this, um, was there football? <laughs> Not exactly, but this is, this is a great connection that we know that on, on that day, they, it said they engaged in games and sports, which probably meant things like foot races. Um, other, there was shooting competitions, <laughs> right? So accuracy matters once again. Um, and and there may uh, we'll talk about this, but there were Native Americans present, and so kind of the the competitions uh, was part of the entertainment. So it wasn't exactly football, but you know they they did have have some sports going on, and so on on that side maybe we can say hey there there's there's a comparison. All right, uh, Jonathan Den Hartog and I are um, we're going to do two things after a very brief break. We're going to speculate. 400 years from now, in 2421, what will people be doing on Thanksgiving? Um, And then we're going to talk about uh, the pilgrims in terms of their faith. Who were these people and what did they believe? What were their religious practices? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All 
All right, one shout out for the green bean casserole lady. Uh, for those of you looking for an update on that, my comment that they couldn't have possibly had green bean casserole because they didn't have Campbell's soup. Okay, that's actually because the woman who created the iconic green bean casserole did it for the Campbell Soup Company. You may not have known this. She actually created the Thanksgiving uh, green bean casserole um, as a like as a marketing thing, right? Um, so anyway, that's what that's who she is. That's what's going on. She died when she was ninety-two, a couple of years ago. That's what I have for you. Okay, so uh, back to our conversation with Dr. Jonathan Den Hartog of Samford University. Um, speculate as a historian. So we look four hundred years back. We talk about the Pilgrims and their Thanksgiving. If we were to, you know, mark this date uh, this year in time and then forecast 400 years from now, will they still be using forks? Will they still be eating turkey? What's going to be happening on Thanksgiving in, I don't know, my math is pretty bad, 24-21? Right. Uh, first of all, I think we're trying a lot of self-discipline here that I, I don't know about you. I'm I'm famished now. I'm, I'm just thinking about, <laughs> about the Thanksgiving meals. Okay, but we're, I we're already made, going. let me just go ahead and confess, I already, over the weekend, I I like made a practice, uh, a practice version of our Thanksgiving stuffing because we love it so much and we only eat it once a year and that seemed ridiculous and so because I already had all the fixings, because I'm you know trying to get them in advance, I'm like oh forget it, I'm just making it. So we're I know I have no discipline. That's a confession that I have no discipline and we're going to have Thanksgiving stuffing tonight. That is a great strategy. We actually have have <laughs> been practicing how we're going to fix our turkey this year. We're we're looking to to grill it. So we've had a couple of Ooh. practice runs already. So nice. the, the, these are good types of practice I endorse. Well, so the the first thing that as a historian I think about is what could the pilgrims have thought was going to happen 400 years from them, mm. right? Where uh, if you would have told them. Uh, First of all, you would tell them, well, the people in New England would not be English, right? They, they would say, we, we came to do this partly as Englishmen and partly for, for the English nation, nation. And you'd say, well, you know, not going to be ruled by England. And then you'd have to explain an entire American revolution. Or the, the government is going to stretch from the Atlantic coast all the way to the Pacific coast. I think they would be shocked. Um, or, or you might say people would be speaking with disembodied voices from Alabama uh, to uh, to Minnesota and connecting with people in Tennessee and broadcasting across around the world, they would say, "What what kind of sorcery is this?" Mm -hmm. So uh, all of those shocks, I think, for them would probably be something uh, to to think about for someone in twenty four twenty one. Now, again, I'm a historian. I'm not a great prophet. Uh, but I, I think well, and we that, like, might be as be... surprised then as they would be to think about today. Yeah, and that food would be sourced from around the world. That that on your Thanksgiving table, you could have a food item from literally anywhere in the world delivered to you overnight. Like uh, they right. would be, uh, uh, yeah, they'd be like, no way. Oh, that you could have somebody bring Thanksgiving to your house without you ever having to lift a finger. Like they'd be mm -hmm. surprised by that as well. All right. Well, let's, uh, you could let's... order it up on an something called an app, an app on your I know. phone that's not connected to anything that uses electricity. <laughs> all all of these categories would would have would just, just been them. yeah. They would just look at you. Okay. So um, let's talk about their faith. These were people of faith. Let's talk about uh, the pilgrims as people of faith. 
Yeah. So this is this is the point that if if the the world is continuing and uh, people are gathering in 400 years, I would hope that the one continuity would be thankfulness and gratitude to God. And I and I think if if we went back and told the pilgrims 400 years from now, people were giving thanks to the same God who had provided all things richly for them because of Jesus, and they, and people were acknowledging this 400 years later, they would have been grateful. And I think if we can see a continuity, again, if the world is still here 400 years from now, if people can be giving thanks in the name of Jesus, that by itself would be maybe the most powerful continuity to see. Mm. I think that's so helpful, right? Thanksgiving is really about giving thanks, and that means there is one to whom we are we are grateful to whom we render thanksgiving. Um, just talk about that. Just talk about the need for us as people of faith to give thanks to God. Well, again, this is some of the misrememberings, right? People say, well, you know, they were thankful. Well, who are they thankful for too, right? And some textbooks say, oh, they were thankful to the Indians for helping out. Well, they appreciated that, but that is not what thanks meant in their, uh, their very... Uh, biblical sense of, of thanksgiving. And it was not to a general uh, natural force or, or to the world, but, but they were thankful for, to God. And, and so we can see these pilgrims coming over. They were there because uh, they had received the scriptures. They believed all people should read the scriptures for themselves. And when they read there, they, they found the, the good news of, of Jesus, and it transformed individuals, it transformed communities, it, it caused a little group, and, and we're talking just a, a few hundred in a corner in England, the town was Scrooby, to say, we, we need to practice this in our church, and whether that was in England or later in Holland or subsequently in America— uh, they said we have to guide all of our activities by the Word of God. And so they were deeply shaped by that. And of course, you can find many commands in the Scriptures, like I'm thinking First Thessalonians 5, to give thanks always. And so even though they went through a lot of hardships in their first year and in subsequent years too, they, they aimed to give thanks. So that, that, was a, that was an outgrowth of what they were reading in the scriptures and hearing preached every, every Sunday. Mm. I, um, I feel like redeeming the, the reality of thanksgiving um, as giving thanks to God for every good and perfect gift, which, you know, come from his hand. Um, I, I think that that would be a really good restoration for each of us um, and certainly for our nation. I mean, when we think about, you know, the day of Thanksgiving and the season of Thanksgiving and being called to um, give thanks, you know, how how are we doing that as a secular people if there is, I mean, if there is no God, to whom are we giving thanks? And so I think it's a good opportunity and reminder for Christians in the culture today as well. To to direct it to God. And let's let's also say, give thanks even in hard times. Mm-hmm. Um, as as I was going back and thinking about this, the, the pilgrims were coming out of the hard winter. Do you know that of the 100 pilgrims who left England, 50 of them died the first year? So an entire half of their number died the first winter. So there were there were orphans. Um, 
there were only, I think, four marriages in which one of the couples did, did not uh, die during that first winter. So there were widows, there were widowers. They had lost a lot in that first year, and yet they were able to, to find ways to give thanks. And, and mm-hmm. so Thanksgiving comes not out of, you know, everything's going well and I'm pleased with the world. It can also come out of, of hardship and, and hard times. Jonathan, so helpful. Um, such a blessing to get to talk with you again. Blessings on your Thanksgiving with your family. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Hope you enjoy all that time, including the, the pie bar. That's just a beautiful image. Oh, yeah, there's a pie bar, and there's going to be venison because uh, we, my husband had a successful hunt this past weekend. So there you go. We, are, we, we do the wild turkey and the venison because, uh, yeah, that's, that's where we live, and we have that opportunity. So thank See, you. Ra- um, thank raise you. that all and, and connect it to the pilgrims. Yeah, oh, no, totally, absolutely. But I still am going to serve cranberry sauce and probably green bean casserole. So hey, there you go. No, no objections yeah. there. <laughs> thank you so much, Jonathan. All right, we've got to take one more. Day. Brief break, you too, and then we'll be right back. When we think about the first Thanksgiving, we think not only about the pilgrims, but we think about the Native Americans um, who were present, who helped give the pilgrims reason to give thanks. So we're going to talk with Terry Wildman about the First Nations Bible and Native American Heritage Month, which we find ourselves in at this Thanksgiving. We're thrilled to have back with us today Terry Wildman. We talked with Terry on a prior occasion about the First Nations version of the Bible. Terry, welcome back. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me back. So remind everyone who may not have heard our conversation the first time, tell us about the First Nations version of the Bible and maybe um, tell us, you know, how people have responded to the launch. Well, the First Nation version of the Bible is a, a new translation worded in English for Native American people, First Nations people. So the First Nation Version New Testament was envisioned by myself and then created by a group of Native American First Nation believers in Jesus. And so I know that um, one of the things that people are interested to know is what would the scriptures sound like uh, if we were to hear them in in a language of of an indigenous people group? And so um, is there any chance... Terry, that you could just read me a couple of verses of Scripture in um, in your native language? Sure. Uh, well, in my own native language, I don't uh, speak my language. That's part of the reason we did this in English. So see, I think that's Many helpful our... for people to know, right? See, I that right yeah. there, that it's a lost, There, there's a reason that the this Bible is is in English. So can you just talk a little bit about that? Because that feels like a huge loss to not know what the language would have sounded like. That's true. Probably only about 90, uh, or excuse me, 10% of our Native people still speak their language in it with any fluency. 
Mm. And, uh, and even less can read our language. And this is because of generations of government assimilation policies that were participated in by many church and mission organizations. Most First Nations people will not read their tribal language. So the First Nation version provides an English Bible that connects in a culturally relevant way to the traditional heart languages of over, of over 6 million English-speaking First Nations people here in Turtle Island, what we call North America. Mm. Okay, so we do have, um, let's say, the scriptures in in Hopi. So you were serving um, as a pastor on a reservation in Arizona, the Hopi Reservation, and you found, I mean, a little bit like, you know, I think the rediscovery of the law in the in the back uh, part of the temple in the Old Testament, you discovered <laughs> um, this Hopi translation of the New Testament. Um, just tell me a little bit about that experience and, and sort of how that led to the conversation we're having today. Yes, uh, my wife and I lived for five years on the Hopi uh, reservation there in Northern Arizona. And we uh, we were using a, a regular new international version Bible in our churches. But one day I was in our uh, at our church there on Second Mesa uh, called Sunlight Mission. We uh, I was in the storehouse uh, uh, kind of looking through things, being Snoopy. And I found a box and I opened it up and it had the Hopi New Testament, written in the Hopi language. And I was excited. I, I wanted to find someone who could kind of read it to me and interpret it for me and give me a feel for how it sounded in Hopi. And uh, I couldn't find anyone who could read it or understand it. And that mm-hmm. was kind of the beginning of the journey. Uh, you know, that was back in 2003. It was the beginning of my journey that eventually led to us doing an English version worded for native people okay so let's hear um let's hear a passage some reading um from this first nations bible so people can get a sense of it because there's also a a cadence to this it's not it's not just the words on the page there's a cadence in the way that it's spoken sure i'll read ephesians 4 22 through 24 take off that worn out and stained outfit of your past life with its selfish desires and worthless ways of thinking. It no longer represents who you are. You are now true human beings with a new way of seeing and thinking. Put on the regalia of your new life, for you have been made made new, created again to look like the one who made you, standing in a good way and walking a true and sacred path. I love the feedback that you've received from um, from younger people as you have shared this with them. They they say that this sounds like their elders telling them a story, um, and there's just a part of that that warms my heart. I feel like that's you know, that's the way Scripture is supposed to feel. It's supposed to feel like you know it is it is the wisdom of of God passed through generations, um, you know, transmitted through one generation of believers to another. So talk talk with me about how young people in particular have received this? Well, the uh, w- what's been amazing is both young and old have given us positive feedback on this. Elders like it because it reminds them of when they were children, mm. and young people like it because it reconnects them to their to their elders and to that feel that, that some of them had when their their grandpa. 
uh, told them stories that maybe at the breakfast table, uh, some of them has said to us. But Native American stories were traditionally told in ways that are unique to the storyteller and meaningful to the listeners. They drew from history, tradition, and experience. So a storyteller ensures the essence of the story is preserved without the need to present a strict word-for-word recital. So that's how we approach the First Nation version, more in a storytelling form. We tried to capture that cadence and feel. And most people have told us that that's how it works, especially when you read it out loud. Yeah, I think the reading out loud is essential to this to this whole project. So the First Nations version of the Bible um, is what we're talking about today with Terry Wildman. Um, when we come back from a very brief break, I'm actually going to ask Terry to reflect with us on First Nations Heritage Month or, Nash, or the National American Indian Heritage Month. We're going to talk about some of those words. And yeah, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Picking up in our conversation with Terry Wildman, um, Terry, talk with me a little bit about Native American Heritage Month or First Nations Heritage Month, um, and talk with me a little bit about the language as well. Well, um, Native Americans or... Yeah, I think when we say Native American, I think the confusion, I'll just go ahead and say that the confusion is, what am I supposed to say? What language am I supposed to use? Is it still okay to talk about... Indian Americans? Am I supposed to say Native Americans? Am I supposed to say First Nations people? Like, can you just help me out? Get Help me get on the right side uh, linguistically? Of course. When I lived on the Hopi Indian Reservation, I, I, I went to an elder one time and I was talking with him and I used the word First Nations. And he says, what? And I said, First Nations. He goes, you know, Native Americans. He goes, oh, is that what they're calling us now? <laughs> and so it depends on where you are. It depends on what group of Native people you're around. You, um, it depends on how they've been raised. So, you know, Native American is generally accepted. But on the reservations, for the most part, our experience has been Native people call themselves Indians. Mm-hmm. It's kind of It's kind of stuck there. And so you really have to gauge who you're around and kind of feel people out on those issues. Now, that's really helpful. All right. So let's talk about um, this particular month in terms of a heritage month. What are some of the things going on and where can people, you know, find information and connect um, with some, some good things happening in Native American Heritage Month? Wow. Uh, you caught me off guard there. Um, oh, well, that's just all right. Kind of gear- I'm just kind of gearing up myself, but you know, Native American Heritage Month it has been recognized by our government. Uh, my wife and I had uh, one time we're traveling in Germany and uh, doing some Native American storytelling on a U.S. base in Germany, and it was during November. And I remember walking into they took us to feed us at the local uh, place where the where the uh, soldiers eat, and as we entered in, there was a big sign with a beautiful picture of a native person in their regalia and it said native american heritage month and i I thought wow here i am in germany and there's i'm seeing more honoring even even though it's us here than i normally see when i'm in the states and we found this kind of to be true that 
that were more, in, in a sense, received and well accepted outside of the United States, outside of North America, than we are here in North America. Um, Native American Heritage Month is is celebrated by some Native people. Uh, it's good that it's recognized, but you're going to find different opinions about that across the board. Uh, um, personally, I, I think it's a good time to raise awareness um, and and uh, and listen to Native voices. But I don't often see that happening. You know, uh, I don't often see the government or on television or in uh, on radios where uh, they invite a native voice in to speak like you guys are doing. This is good that you've got someone speaking about our native people because we have a lot to offer and we have some stories to tell that might surprise people about the history of our nation and how we see things. So um, I, I guess that that gives you a little bit of a feel uh, that there are different perspectives on it because we're we're over we're hundreds of different tribes and all of us have a little bit different experience in the way we've experienced our relationship with the United States government. So I want you to tell us, um, tell us a story, give us a little sense of history uh, from your perspective um, and and maybe how you see Thanksgiving. Well, Thanksgiving, uh, you know, the, the original story uh, has some, has some beautiful aspects to it um, that the settlers came here and the native, uh, they were struggling, and the native people stepped in to help them, to welcome them, to feed them, to show them how to how to survive in a new environment that they were in. And there was there was a, a some a, a dinner, a meal where they came together in a good way. You know, if I like that story, I like the story because it tells about how things should be. Unfortunately, those things didn't follow through. You know, uh, Pennsylvania, William Penn uh, had a very good relationship with our Native people. For 70 years, they lived in peace in Pennsylvania. There, there was a, a, a good treaty. The King of England was, was behind it. And the villagers uh, lived together with some with non-native people, with the settlers in peace. Some there were some native villages, there were some just settler villages, but there was no wars, there was no fighting, there was no uh, anything like that for seventy years. So, in some places, it was done right, but it didn't last. And you know, if we're going to tell this story, if we're going to understand Thanksgiving, we need to see it as something that should be and something that we all want to move toward and that we all want to uh, see healing and reconciliation and understand not just kind of the mythical uh, story with uh, with the pictures of native people and stuff but but maybe a little bit bigger picture and then of course we need to give thanks to the creator our native people have always believed in a great spirit a, a powerful being who created everything and rules over everything. And so we always gave thanks to him. So that's a common way to do that. My family and other Native families I know celebrate Thanksgiving um, in a very similar way that other people do. Um, but we also, uh, there are also some who don't. And, um, and I think we need to listen and understand and find out why some of them don't. 
So we thought as a Thanksgiving activity that one of the things that we would do around our table um, is um, we have collected some arrowheads from the river uh, right where we live. And we just thought we would have a conversation about the Yuchi, the Shawnee, and I can't even pronounce um, the Cherokee in its correct way, but it's the East version of the Cherokee. Um, and we just thought that as a family, we would have that conversation around our Thanksgiving table and give um, particular thanks for the land upon which we live. I mean, we actually have evidence, physical evidence that, you know, there were people here long before us because we have these, you know, we have these evidences of, um, um, of, you know, bone and, uh, and rock that is clearly formed and shaped to make arrowheads. So I hope that that seems like a thing that would be honoring. Well, honoring um, mo most Native people understand, e even sometimes when people don't actually do things exactly in the right way, if their heart's right, that's what's mm -hmm. important. And what I'm feeling with you is that your heart is that you want your family to understand. You want you want to present these arrowheads as as uh, as proof that Native people here were here before us. Mm -hmm. You know, to take it a step farther might be to to try to find out is there a Thanksgiving powwow in the area hmm. where you live? And, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to find out. Yes, and and so and actually meet some Native people. And actually, um, maybe uh, make some friendships, and then and then maybe next Thanksgiving, you share together a meal, a community meal with Native people and non-Native people, and then talk about these things. Okay, I love it. You can just go to calendar.powwows.com, and you can find out if there is um, if there's a Thanksgiving powwow near you. Okay, that's really cool. Okay, and the answer is yes. I don't know where Wartburg, Tennessee is, but I'm going to track it down. Oh, that is such a fun idea. Terry, thank you. Um, thank you so very much for encouraging us, inspiring us. Your patience with us is so great, and we genuinely appreciate it. Going to invite people to check out the First Nations version of the Bible. Um, and please explore. There are all kinds of online resources where you can find out, you know, what native land am I on right now? You can put any zip code uh, in, in, and it will tell you, like, who are the native people who lived where you're standing right now? Um, and then, uh, you know, as Terry said, take it a step further. Let's all find a way to connect with uh, Native Americans in our own communities and become friends and tell stories and learn from one another. Terry Wildman, thank you so much again for joining us today. Miigwech. Thank you for listening. Mm, absolutely. We'll be right back. So I'm hoping today on this Thanksgiving Day that you will uh, find an opportunity to take some time away to just be one with the Lord. Let us give thanks this day in ways that might be unusual for the culture of which we are a part. Yes, there's a lot of frenzied focus on 
oh, Black Friday, you know, that's tomorrow. Let's get our shopping list together. Let's be sure that we've got a plan and let's get our calendars out and make sure that all the points of intersection are going to work with the members of our family. And, well, let's be sure that we've got, uh, you know, plans lined up for gifts. I mean, let's make the gift list and let's go ahead and decide who's going to exchange gifts with who. And, oh. Oh, and we better get the tree up. I mean, you know, it's that weekend. We better we better be thinking about when we're going to, you know, hang the greens and on and on and on. I want to invite you today to hit the pause button. I'm thinking about the story where Jesus heals the ten and only one returns. And he says, where are the other nine? Let, let's, not, let's not be the nine today. Let's be the one who turns to Jesus and says, thank you. Thank you for coming for me. Thank you for revealing the reality and the nature, the goodness, the grace of God to me. Thank you for making the Father known to me. Thank you for drawing unto me. Thank you for giving yourself for me. Thank you for the reality of the grace in which I stand this day. Thank you, Jesus. What might it look like to write a thank you note to Jesus today? What, what might be in your thank you note or your thank you letter to the Lord our God? I am so thankful, full of thanks to God for you, for the opportunity that we have to gather together. I am thankful for the technology over which we converse. I am thankful for the Bible I am thankful for the gift of prayer. I am thankful for, wow, blessings too numerous to count. And yet today is the day we count them one by one. What makes your blessing list today? I certainly count you among mine. You've been listening to Mornings with Carmen. We've got another hour up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.